Hey, everybody. Welcome back to uh, your Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. recap podcast, Project Tahiti. It's a magical place. Um, I am one of your hosts, Jess, and I am joined by your other host, Jared. What's up? Hello. Uh, We're going to talk about an episode (laughs) today. (laughs) We'll... Not a ton of meat in this one, but we'll see. We'll see what we can do. We're we're discussing episode eight today, and it falls right behind Thor: The Dark World. So yeah, <laughs> um, I will say first off that the we do talk about spoilers, but not till the very end of our episodes. So if you are not caught up through the end of season five of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., make sure you go do that before you hear the spoiler section. But we'll give you plenty of warnings, so don't worry. Also, if you do want to catch up, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is on Netflix right now. So you can go do that if you have Netflix. All right, I'm going to jump right in. Season one, episode eight, The Well, Ooh. Uh, written by Monica Owusu-Breen, directed by Jonathan Frakes, originally aired November 19th, 2013. And Jared, I know you had a few things to say about Jonathan Frakes real quick. <laughs> oh, yeah. just It's a name that always jumps out at me because I grew up uh, watching Star Trek The Next Generation. And he's Commander Riker. Who so, even though he wasn't the captain, was sort of the Captain Kirk stand-in because Captain Picard, as everyone knows, was not like a weird kind of gross right. man. <laughs> <laughs> but Riker was like a less successful version of, <laughs> of Kirk and ha- did have a, pr- a previous relationship with Marina Sirtis's character, Deanna Troy. But he, I think, got to start directing later episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation. And I distinctly remember he was a director and an executive producer on the old WB show Roswell, which is now coming back i believe is being rebooted on the cw of course it is because everything is eventually yeah reboot everything <laughs> that one at least has like novel source material and like isn't just just recycling tv like maybe right i i hear i think they might be staying truer to the source material because it was because it is in new mexico a large portion of the characters in the novel are latino and is not the case in the show nope. <laughs> the show it was <laughs> entirely whitewashed uh yeah it was starring what colin hanks and katherine heigl yep. <laughs> <laughs> not necessarily bad actors, but certainly not Latino. <laughs> and no, uh, he's, we talked just briefly about it. He's a specific kind of director. I feel like he's like a, a, yeah. a TV, basic cable action, sci-fi director, you know? It's funny because I didn't know this about this director until I, right before we started recording. Um, you were telling me like, you know, that he got a start on Star Trek and I'm not, typically a Star Trek fan, especially like the older television shows. Like I like Discovery and I think it's because it doesn't have that like cheesy, (laughs) that cheesy TV style. Um, It's a little bit more serious, I think, and dramatic. Cinematic too. Yeah. And, and I really felt like I didn't care for this episode, especially the very beginning because of it had that weird cheesy TV feel to it. And that totally makes sense now that you said that. (laughs) Very interesting. Alrighty, let's jump into the synopsis. So we are in space and Simmons is giving this monologue about how, you know, we used to think that there were gods and all this mythology and now it turns out they're aliens and they're real and Asgard is real and Thor is real and they've come to Earth and they've fucked things up and now they're cleaning up after them (laughs) and they're cleaning up 
in Greenwich after the mess that the events around Thor the Dark World if that sentence made sense. That was a lot of <laughs> a lot of fragments there, which is interesting. And we'll discuss this a little after we go through the synopsis. Kind of just feels like it happened, like we were saying. And I don't know if it fully impacted the world of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. or not. Um, this kind of seems like a one-off situation. So anyway, Ward and, and Fitz and Simmons are rummaging around for alien artifacts. Uh, Simmons' parents call and she ignores the call. And we discover that she hasn't spoken to them since before her near-death experience with her, her alien viral illness. Very interesting. So Sky, Coulson, and May are walking around kind of talking about how all of this stuff is very new to the world, even though it's not new to the agents within S.H.I.E.L.D. And then they start talking about how dreamy Thor is. Well, at least Sky does. And Coulson's like, well, yeah, he's very good looking. And May's like, no, no, Thor is dreamy. So May confirms it. <laughs> that means it's real. <laughs> now we go to some national park in Norway that I forgot to write down the name of. I apologize, Norwegians. These rangers with British accents <laughs> see graffiti uh, on a park sign, and it's this strange symbol uh, in red paint. Uh, and then we see a couple hiking. They come upon this big tree, and they talk about uh, there being a halo of stones around the tree, and they start chopping it down. And they cut into the tree, and they find this metal staff inside the trunk that has a bunch of symbols on it. Uh, the girl grabs the staff and starts kind of freaking out, and the guy is telling her to embrace the rage. And so she go, gets a little nuts. And one of the rangers shows up and is like, hey, you can't do that. You can't cut down trees. And she hits him, and he flies 10 feet away. So clearly this staff has given her enhanced abilities. And the words that are written on the staff in the one bit of trivia in what Asgardian runes mm -hmm. or whatnot say war and power. Ooh rage. <laughs> yeah, which is kind of cool. It is. So uh, sometime later, Coulson's team shows up to the site. Ward is being very sweet with Simmons, and he's trying to talk her up through uh, walking up the tree because she's scared of heights. And she's there to gather samples. And they discover that it is, in fact, Asgardian. They use some kind of like 3D scanner so they can, you know, pull up the image and fits his cool holographic computer thing back on the bus. And Sky is scouring the internet and media, and she finds that this crazy couple is terrorizing Oslo all over the news and all over the internet. It's They're not hiding. <laughs> um, and there's a, a shot of fire. I don't know how to describe this, like words written in gasoline, like on the street. So they set them on fire and they glow. And they're, so it says, we are gods. I don't know if that was a good description or not. Basically, we are gods is written in fire on the street. <laughs> so essentially, these are a uh, what's described as a Norse paganist hate group. And now they have this otherworldly power. So that's great. <laughs> Coulson mentions that Thor is off the grid, which I haven't watched Thor 2 probably since it was in theaters. <laughs> so do you remember like what happened at the very end? Like why Thor isn't around and well, he, this he's he goes back to Asgard, right? I don't remember. <laughs> I just remember I, re I was like, I should have looked this up before we recorded, but I believe like Loki, Loki, like uh, or we think kills Odin, but he doesn't. He just like puts him in a nursing home that we find we find out in Ragnarok and Loki is now impersonating Odin and everyone thinks Loki's dead, right? I believe so. Okay. 
He'd faked his death at that point? Yes, he faked his death and he turned himself. He's now impersonating Odin. But I don't remember what Thor did. Thor, I, wait, Thor went off to go like, he went back to, wait, I don't remember what Thor was doing. Maybe we should look this up before we take it to the discussion. You, you move on, I'll look it up. <laughs> okay, sounds good. Because he, I mean, this is before Ultron. And so he eventually comes to Earth to deal with Ultron. And it, I'm confused, whatever. I, there's not a movie in between those two, right? Or is there one? No, because he came know. after the Avengers and before Age of Ultron, he's not anything in anything else. Yeah, and okay, that's weird. Anyway, basically Thor's off the grid and he can't come help wrangle these paganists or figure out what this staff is from. But Coulson did speak to a professor um, when they found Thor's hammer in New Mexico. And so they're going to Spain to, to consult with this professor. So that's a cool Avengers callback. Yay, connecting things <laughs> to the movies. So now they're in Seville, Spain. Uh, Elliot Randolph is the name of the professor. He's played by Peter McNichol, who's a great stage actor. And uh, he was in all the things. Ghostbusters 2, like you said before we started recording, Ally McBeal, which I didn't realize he was in. A couple other things. Yeah, I have a huge fondness for him. He's a great actor. Yeah, he is. And you can tell, I always love it when stage actors come to film because you can really feel, you, you get like a stage feel from them when, they, when they're when they on screen. And he definitely like, especially like when we find out more about this character, like you get a feeling of he has this like grandiosity to him, but that also plays into the character. So he reveals that the staff sounds like the berserker staff, which is this myth um, about these berserker warriors would hold these staves and they would gain rage and the strength of 20 men. And um, there's a myth that a single berserker warrior came to earth, or I guess like a whole group of them came to earth and one of them fell in love with earth and decided to stay. And he broke his staff into three pieces and he hid them in various places around the world. And so there are still two more pieces to be found. And very conveniently, uh, the Vikings sacked Seville twice. So <laughs> um, they Coulson's team decides to start their search in the city that they're in. Uh, one of the clues is that there's like a, a some kind of graveyard or uh uh, whatever. Uh, so there's a church that that matches this description uh, in Seville. So Ward and Sky head in and are searching around in the catacombs. And Ward runs into the professor, and he has another part of the staff. And Ward grabs the staff and goes a little nuts. Uh, he gets a little ragey. He uh, starts seeing these visions of a little boy in a well, and he passes out on the floor. And the professor escapes. But as soon as he gets outside the church, the paganists are there, and they find him and throw his car and take the staff. And Coulson ultimately finds a professor on the ground looking very sheepish. And he's like, I can explain. I swear this looks bad. So back on the bus, Ward is acting. He's getting a physical because they're, everyone's very concerned about how this staff affected him. And he's very agitated and he's just downright rude. And uh, poor Fitzsimmons and Sky are the butt of his rudeness. And they're very hurt. And it all goes very bad. Meanwhile, Coulson is interrogating Professor Randolph in the interrogation room. Is that what we're calling it? Because it's like interrogation room slash like prison cell. <laughs> I think that's the best thing to call it. I mean, okay. I don't, <laughs> I don't remember. I'm trying to remember what they say in the show. I don't think they call it anything. I can't remember what it would be. <laughs> 
Oh, yeah. So they're in the interrogation room. I always call it that, but I don't know if that's actually what it is. Um, cause it also functions as a, a cell as well. Um, so he's interrogating the professor in the, in the interrogation room and, um, he's not getting anywhere with him. So cut, we cut to Ward going at it on a punching bag to let off some steam and this vision is coming back to him of this boy in the well and it's replaying in his head and may shows up and ward turns around and takes a swing at her and she just like steps aside and very easily evades it because she's badass um and she's like look i'm here to help you if you if you let me you know i i'm here basically meanwhile the paganists have both pieces of the staff and they're making more rage soldiers. Yay. <laughs> In some underground like sewer system. <laughs> so Ward starts talking to Colson while Colson's in his office because he's concerned about his current behavior. He talks about his family trauma and how Colson knows all about it without mentioning it to us, all the details anyway, and um, how the staff brought up all of those feelings of hate and pain to the surface and he doesn't feel like he's fit to to serve as an agent. And Colson says, you telling me this makes me feel like I can trust you. We're going to put a pin in that and come back to that. <laughs> so Ward... They decide that Ward is going to go interrogate the professor. They have this plan. And, of course, he gets ragey and he pulls out a knife and tries to stab him. And the professor grabs the knife and bends it. Apparently, he's Asgardian. Uh, Coulson had a theory and it turned out to be correct. He is the berserker warrior that stayed. And so the staff belongs to him. And so he uh, eventually does tell them where the last piece of the staff is. And it is in Ireland. So they go to Ireland to this little monastery that the Asgardian berserker warrior decided he loved and told them his secret and left a piece of the staff there. But before they do that, Ward asks the professor how long that ragey feeling will stay with him in the strength as well. And he says, oh, maybe a few hours. You know, you're human. You're affected a little differently than Asgardians. And then Ward asks about the other effects, like the flashbacks, the not being able to push his trauma down away from the surface. And uh, the professor says, oh, that'll take decades to go away, which is a very like telling metaphor to like how real trauma works <laughs> in the human brain. So the professor leads them to the staff in the monastery and it isn't there. And of course the stupid paganist got there first. Somehow they show up. They already have the third piece. They got there first somehow. Yeah, that's such, it's like every movie, right? every, like, Jones, every Star Wars, every, every, every comic book. It's just like, those, those are the moments where we can't, pull the thread you know i know <laughs> i'm right there with you we're like you just gotta go yeah whatever like they don't even bother to explain it's just like, no this this is post-surviving uh the force awakens you're just like don't worry about it like keep going it's, it's fine <laughs> why, why, no worries why, why are you asking this shush, shush. <laughs> we're here it, we're here to wreck you know wreck everything whatever so anyway they show up and they have they already have the third piece and they they also have the other two pieces and they stab the professor in the chest and ward grabs the third piece uh to rage and he goes and fights all of these paganists off. Meanwhile, the professor is, I don't, what are we, the professor, the Asgardian professor, whatever. Um, he 
Coulson decides, you know, Asgardians heal very quickly. So they just have to like keep him alive long enough to let his body regenerate. So he sticks his hand in the guy's chest to like hold his heart for some reason to like stop the bleeding. Uh, it all right. feels <laughs> like some bull. Uh, <laughs> but like things there are- to be dramatic and cool or whatever more than it makes any sense. Like that's another one. Yeah. We can't really think about it. It's like, of course. Sometimes in some episode of ER, I'm sure the doctor said something about massaging a heart or something. Right, right. This this doesn't feel like the most well-researched uh, portion of the writing. Good Lord. We're being harsh it's, on this episode. And I, I know. It's not even sort of the worst because like Peter McNichol does elevate the scenes he's in and like yes. the ideas in it are fun, but it's not our favorite episode. <laughs> like that's for sure. <laughs> Yeah, I, it has good elements to it too, but just like it feels very TV to me. And Shields does that sometimes, but I feel like it, it it feels like more than that a lot. And this is definitely not one of those episodes where it feels more than. This is, this <laughs> Which is, is one of the ones that really feels like it's an ABC network, you know, yep. hour long sci fi show, and not like sometimes it feels closer to a Netflix or a cable show. You know, like not yeah, not always, but sometimes. Yeah. But yeah. So anyway, what the heck, Coulson? Just go for it, I guess. So Ward is fighting everyone and he fights everyone off and he kind of falls to the ground and we finally see his full memory of this well. And it's a trip. So there's a little boy at the bottom of a well, which is his little brother. And Grant, which is Ward's first name, Grant, as a child, is like looking down in the well, trying to figure out a way to help his little brother get out. And his big brother shows up and tells him that he's going to throw him down there if he tries to help him. And he has to stay down there a little longer. And we've talked about brother, this in the past uh, spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> little brother drowns. What the fuck? So clearly... And I think Ward mentions this when he's in Coulson's office, but he says this is the first time in his life where he felt hate. And this is like his cornerstone, his defining moment of trauma that affects him throughout the rest of the show, to be honest. So, but it's, it's, it's bad. So now Ward is on the ground and the the blonde paganist lady shows up and she's pissed because everyone's dead. Her boyfriend's dead. Ward's spent. He can't. He's like, oh, my God, more people. I got to do this again. And May's like, no, I got this. I'm here to help. And so she picks up the pieces of the staff and rages. And she's so bad because she seems like she's like barely affected by it. She just kind of like grunts a little bit and she does a rage scream and (laughs) goes after everyone. And she ends up connecting all three pieces of the staff together and kicks ass very quickly. Professor Asgard... (laughs) I like how I named him that in the notes. Professor Asgard does live, thanks to Coulson. He wakes back up. And Simmons answers her parents' phone call. So she has to go explain to them all the events of Thor 2 and uh, what happened when she was sick. And then May and Ward are in the corner kind of talking about the rage and the staff. And Ward asks May, like, how did she do it with all three pieces? Like, what did you see? And she's like, I see it every day. Which super sad. Poor May. May's got trauma too. Everyone has trauma. So now Coulson and Professor Asgard are discussing their traumas, their their deaths. Uh, essentially, you know, they have had very similar experiences, both stabbed through the heart. And Professor or uh, Coulson's like, you know, I I was I died also, or I was near death, and 
Professor Asgard's like, are you haunted by it? And Coulson says, not exactly, which, I mean, yeah, he's haunted by it. Why are you saying that? <laughs> Don't lie to yourself, Coulson. <laughs> oh, also, so there's a, a part where Professor Asgard is like, oh, you know, I, I need to get away from Spain. You know, everyone in Europe is so obsessed with Asgardian relics. I need to go somewhere where, you know, people aren't so obsessed with that stuff. And Coulson recommends to go to Portland because they have a great Philharmonic. And do you remember if that's where a certain lady friend is? Yes, that is. Okay. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Sorry, that's not like a huge spoiler, but uh, it is a slight one. So we'll, sorry, we'll, everybody. We'll mention that, but yeah, yes. <laughs> um, I won't be any more specific than that. So now Ward and Skye are at this hotel bar. Apparently they get to stay in a hotel in Ireland for the night. And uh, Ward is apologizing to Skye for his behavior. And he's like, I'm not that guy. I'm really sorry, which we'll put a pin in that. And also this brings up the question because there's these few moments where they're kind of looking at each other and Skye's like trying to comfort him. And she's like, I'm here for you if you need me. And Ward kind of gives her a look and he's like, next time, you know, maybe next time I'm beat. And then he leaves and Skye is kind of looking after him like, with like longing and like empathy and I don't know, like it's just a weird moment where you're starting to question, like, do they have feelings for each other? And it's kind of weird. So Ward goes to his room and he sees May like across the hall going into hers and she has a bottle of liquor and she leaves the door open and Ward follows her in and closes the door. Oh my God. Gross. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> but also, Hey, I get it. You need a, you need, you need to, get some and let off some steam I mean, whatever I def- whatever works i definitely I guess. get it from i mean i get it from war's perspective more yeah because i mean like whether it was migna or melinda may either way like i get, yeah. I get it and i get it from her perspective like very practically like in a very yeah. he's well, attractive no, i mean he's she, and she's confident like there's a lot of things yeah. in his favor but i feel like overall he's too much of a douche in general. It's not my type. But I, I, love, I love how much you hate him. It's I so really great. Do. But like, <laughs> but I do feel like she's she compartmentalizes and she very much like. There's no indication now, and again, very very slight spoiler. I think like she is all by all indications with the way her like demeanor is and whatnot. You get the feeling this is very like functional i think that's yeah i don't think it gives away too much to say but that's where it stays for her you know like yeah she never falls in love with with, with ward i don't know i don't know if anyone's watching for the first time and i just broke their heart <laughs> like you were well, you were already shipping yeah ward. i don't even think there's a name for that no there, and there that. shouldn't be no, there really shouldn't uh, well also i was just like looking back and like the first time i watched this and even if like you don't know what comes next like it still feels a little weird. It's like kind of out of nowhere because they have like this really cold respect for each other and there's never any warmth there. So this clearly is just like a like perfunctory, like physical yes. thing. It's not it, it's not more than that because it just it's like they both like and I think they had a moment during this episode where they like understood each other and they like had each other's back and. Like they both experienced like like they had the same experience with this staff and it like shook them both and they need comfort and they just need to like feel another person next to them and like know that they're not alone type of thing. So I get that. But it just feels and I think that they were kind of setting up because there's like a, a couple shirtless scenes with Ward in this episode, too. So it's like, oh, he's very attractive and she's very attractive and they're both very capable and they just, you know, why not? I don't know. Anyway. So we end the episode with a scene on uh, in Tahiti 
Colson's getting a massage on the beach. He's chit-chatting with the massage therapist and she says it's a beautiful place or did she say it's a beautiful place or a magical place? I wrote beautiful, but I don't remember. That's that's the wrong line. <laughs> whatever, whatever it is. And Colson wakes up from this dream in like a cold, horrified sweat and that's it. So I want to talk real quick about the surface stuff. I didn't like the beginning of this episode because it felt like super TV cheesy. Like there's that moment with the ranger when he's talking with Colson and he's just like being weird. And I like couldn't really figure out like what they were going for. Like if they were, I, I don't even know. Like there's a lot of, and then there's a lot of moments with like the paganists and their acting that just felt weird too. And it was like super TV villainy, but like clearly it was like a sub villain type thing. Like there was a, you know, I don't whatever since you told me the director's history it makes more <laughs> sense to me now that this is why it was like this but definitely yeah, this is one that was particularly yeah. a little cheesy like yeah again not bad but i don't know and there were a lot of cool tie-ins from the films but i don't feel like i mean it was cool we had like an asgard another asgardian on earth and we discover like that was really neat. yeah i did like that stuff and all the trauma stuff was really good too I don't know. There was just a lot of moments, a lot of eye rolling moments in this episode. So I was like, mm, I don't know. I think overall, I agree. I mean, uh, I, I like the connection to the, just the fact that there was an Asgard and it was cool. And I like, you know, it all fit with the world of the Asgard that we know. And they did a good job of explaining it to a TV audience who might not have seen either Thor film. And I, I think it, may, it all makes sense for the Marvel Asgard and whatnot. And it's also interesting to think about now just because it does make me think of Thor 2 and how that was just kind of a rather forgettable movie for sure. Like people don't seem to think of it too well in general. And just to think about how that was going to be Patty Jenkins. Yeah. But Marvel kind of like messed with her, didn't give her creative control and low balder. And like, I feel like those are Marvel's biggest missteps as far as the films go is they didn't figure out how to work with people who had a voice before James Gunn, mm -hmm. like before when, when it came to trying to work with Patty Jenkins and when it came to work with uh, Edgar Wright, they ended up kind of behaving like so far, like we've gotten in, uh, in Star Wars yeah. films developments where like most of those directors have not actually stayed so far. Most people they've hired and it's, have not made a film. And it's interesting because the, the films that, like you said, have allowed individual creators and directors to like have their voice like ragnarok guardians one yes. have been black panther. black panther have been the most successful films of the marvel universe oh i think creatively <laughs> yeah. financially just like, uh, even critically even homecoming oh yeah homecoming Absolutely. too i always forget about it but i do love that no i think that in every way they've gotten more and more comfortable and i think they even go out of their way to look at people who have unique voices now like it's less about a homogenizing view you know, when it comes to, to that stuff, I think that it was at first. Yeah. At first, they wanted them all to kind of feel samey, and now they like that they have their own voices, and I, I, I do too, for sure. But it's just interesting to think, had things shaken out differently, we wouldn't have Wonder Woman necessarily, yeah. and maybe Patty Jenkins would be directing Thor movies. But then we also might not have Ragnarok, you know, yeah. and might not have Taika. So I'm happy with how things turned out, but it is kind of cool to imagine a world where there was a, a Thor movie directed by a Patty mm -hmm. instead of the rather forgettable Thor 2. Yeah, and I wonder if Dark World would have been a more like lady-centric movie 
like with Sif and like Natalie Portman, even though I don't really yeah, who care didn't for come back after when she didn't come back after when nope. she was so unsatisfied. Yeah. So and I never really cared for that character anyway. So I was like, eh, no big loss. But I feel like maybe if if someone well, it sucks because Jane's so cool in the comics. Like yeah, like if she would have been done right, like that would have changed a lot. I feel I don't know. She just ended a run. Uh, to get to spoilers for comics, I guess it could be a kind of a segue to our spoiler section. Yeah, we slightly. can we can do that. So yeah, if you haven't watched through the end of episode five, we are now entering spoiler territory. Please pause, go watch everything, and come back. All right, go for it. Uh, just that in the comics, she is Thor. Yeah, or was Thor very recently and had a great run. Like it was excellent. And like, it's not, I mean, Natalie Portman's a good actor, but like with what they've gave us so far. Yeah, I could argue against that. I feel like, I think we've talked about this, like, in, like with each other about how she needs kind of a specific type of director. Yeah, no, I don't think she's like, <laughs> I don't, I think, I'm, I'm not a fan of all yeah. of her work. We'll just say that. Well, I definitely would agree with that. Like, like, but I don't think that that's necessarily super unique to her. Like, I think that in general, not all actors and directors work well together right. and but I do think I think like, like I, I would I for me I think she is good. I, I, like I said I, I didn't say great. It's <laughs> <laughs> not my favorite, but but I think she could have done better, and or they could have gotten a better person. There's a combination of factors that made Jane Foster not really pop in the in the movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. But either way, like 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 you said, it could have been a really different movie with with Patty. Like it could have been more woman focused and just more story and character focused because mm-hmm. I don't even Thor two had a lot of interesting themes, but it was just constant back and forth. Like I looked it up and I have no, no idea. Like literally I couldn't fucking tell you why Thor is off the board other than they, they had him off the board. Yeah. It, the, the movie ends and he comes, uh, he, he does not take the, th- the throne. Mm-hmm. They think that Loki's dead, but it's actually Odin is being portrayed by Loki. He's posing as him at the moment. And he offers the throne to Thor because he wants to go into his Odin sleep or whatever. And Thor turns him down and it reveals that he's Loki and he smiles coyly. Yeah. And, and that's it, right? That's the end? Uh, no. Oh, okay. <laughs> then in the mid-credits scene or whatever, they have something with the collector. And then there's a post-credits scene and Thor and Jane return to Earth in London where he defeats the uh, frost giant that had been left on Earth earlier in the movie and is continuing to run amok okay so, so he's on <laughs> earth fighting a bad guy on earth and then whatever a couple of days later he's off the board and then but then when we see him again he's an active member of the Avengers. Right. there's literally no reason provided in this story for why thor is not available in this episode of, of avengers and it makes no sense and no one will ever explain it and they won't bother to and it's fine but that just goes again to like we couldn't remember what happened in thor 2 yeah. they don't even they don't even seem like they know yeah. how it ended well, <laughs> like the people making the movie and i know like one of the that's the, i think dark world is the first time we we have an infinity stone presented to us it's like the the what is it the reality stone or whatever but it, we don't even really realize that's what it is right in the movie no because it's the tesseract is also oh an that's infinity i, for, stone. I that's forgot about that <laughs> and then and then the other one is loki's staff which ties into the Colson. So we have oh, three right. at that at that point. Whoops. Got, uh, <laughs> but it is a big deal. Like yeah. it is it does introduce one. So important stuff happened in the MCU and like we can't even remember. Yeah. Because it's so forgettable. And that's kind of a bummer. It is a bummer. I kind of want to go back and watch it, but at the same time I don't want to waste two hours of my life. <laughs> yeah. Like I will someday yeah. I'm sure watch it one more time or or at some yeah. point with somebody. Like like I can imagine running through all the MCU with the kid in the future or something yeah. like uh, at some point 
or with some or with a friend who's never seen any of it. But like barring situations like that, like I'm never just going to sit down. Although I don't know. I rewatched all of the, the 90s version of The Phantom this morning because I was trying to see if I could fall back asleep. And fortunately, it didn't work. Oh, no. Not great. Oh, no. <laughs> I, I could I probably would have been better watching Thor, Thor 2 again. Yeah, maybe that'll, maybe that'll put you to sleep. That'll be good. Also, I feel like uh, Thor 2 had like the weird, the, the weird kind of cute scenes with Thor like on Earth a lot like or is that in thor the first thor i can't even remember what happened in the first thor Thor either one is is all him on earth just about okay he's like learning he's they're like like in some tiny town right and like he meets jane foster mexico and him with the coffee shop okay never mind then i was thinking that okay i don't know all the stuff we liked is in thor one okay never mind (laughs) never mind i was trying to give thor two some redeeming qualities but Maybe they just maybe just doesn't have any. Okay, one thing you'd mentioned earlier was about Oregon and the Philharmonic and the cellist yes. who appears later is in Oregon. Okay, so he's he's like, oh, you should go to Oregon because nobody likes Norse stuff there, and I got a girlfriend. Yeah, so like, it, it was a weird way to hint at that. Like, I just didn't realize that because she get, doesn't get introduced until I think next season. Right, and so but they did plant the seeds. They, did. they plant the seeds for her this season. Yeah, sure. so that was cool. And they do. It's more than just this, I think, too. There's they hint back and forth. Yeah, but yeah, that was cool. I d- obviously, like, I didn't notice that the first time I watched it because I didn't know. <laughs> but um, it's kind of cute, like looking back and and seeing some of these little seeds being planted. Speaking of seeds being planted, shall we talk about? <laughs> I'm sorry, that was a really bad <laughs> segue. Warden May, ew. <laughs> so gross. So gross. I don't like it. I mean, even even without knowing like what Ward does in the next. by the end of the season like i still don't like it well and because they have earlier in that in this episode like sky uh, and ward are flirting they have him super super flirting yeah like they go out of their way to go out to to, to make it very clear that she likes him and it seems like he likes her yeah but also he's like hesitating i think for multiple reasons probably because there's like a mentor relationship and that's getting into some complicated waters and also probably just because she's super young as well and i mean he's probably got 10 years on her at least and that's like a whole other thing and he just had like a super traumatic experience and probably shouldn't use his student (laughs) to like blow off some steam so i guess it is more appropriate that him and may would would do that i don't know i don't like any of it (laughs) yeah it's it's all very gross and i feel like like you said, even without knowing what happens, just with how they presented this episode, as viewers, we're supposed to be grossed out by it because they show that intimacy developing. Like, yeah. this is intentional. It's I think that it's weird because first they plant seeds that make me, you know, as a viewer who already is put off by a guy like Ward, then they, they make me like him more with all the past trauma stuff and him having to deal with that. Yeah. Stuff I can relate to. And even if I didn't, like, I feel like... He, if you have empathy, you're going to be able to relate. You're going to like him more because you're like, oh, yeah. he's gone through some awful stuff. And also there was that scene with him, like in the beginning with Simmons, where he's like trying to help her, like, you know, yeah, face her fears. Can, like he's just. And it does feel less screwed up than, I mean, knowing everything, it feels all, all feels screwed up. Yeah. But like in the moment, it just felt like him being a sweet kind of mentor. Yeah. And, but, but the combination of of that and, and feeling bad for him because of his trauma or and, and maybe having empathy and then 
seeing him bond with May and flirt with, with Sky, all this stuff makes you like him more and more. And then they also do this to make you not like him. Yeah. Like it's all very intentional that the whole way through until Ward is ex Ward, no, he's no longer around, you know, yeah. until he is again, sort of. But uh <laughs> while he's while he's his character and not uh, an alien yeah, thing, not, 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 inhuman thing. Yeah, a hive mind. Yeah. When when he's when he's that character, he's always complex. Even when I hate him at his most, he's not a super villain who's all evil. He's not Dark Side or or the Emperor. You know, he is a flawed person who's I know, broken. But that also he's, he's, it makes it worse. Anakin. Yes, he is. Like he definitely had his fall and was just biding his time. No, and instead of trying to save his unborn child and wife, he was. It's all about trying to save his little brother. Yeah. And it's even maybe more twisted because it was his big brother doing it all with a sociopathic dad and a yeah. ab- emotionally absent mom. Like, it's all just the worst, man. Like, like he has – it's not, like, super creative, I don't think, necessarily, to make you feel for a bad guy by just giving them the worst childhood. But it is effective. Yeah, it is. But, like, because that's, that's the real reason why people do turn out like that a lot of the time is because – they have monsters raising them and it's a, it, you know, abuse isn't always a cycle, but people who are cruel to one another, like that breeds that. You if know? You don't, like, also, if you don't like process your shit and you don't break that cycle, it can definitely just like get handed down and possibly Ward did not have the resources to break the cycle. And he came upon a mentor who yeah. fed, fed into that and like made it, allowed that trauma to fuel wards like all his decisions after the fact and he he passed away in real life recently yeah he did oh man yeah just remembering that that like yeah very talented man a good actor good director yeah what's yeah he was like he had surgery or something and i can't complicate yeah complications after surgery yeah paxton yeah so he plays garrett who is ward's mentor which we will meet soon which if you've watched the show you know this but <laughs> well, and, yeah and he's he's amazing uh in general and really good on the show yeah. and and john garrett will have some great stuff to connect to comic books yeah, we and- should be meeting him in a couple episodes too i feel um i was looking ahead and i think like episode 12 or 13 we start to see some of the centipede stuff unfold and garrett gets brought on i think to help so he should be well should we should be able to talk about him soon, like on the actual non-spoilery parts. <laughs> awesome. Which is good. I, f- I feel like I don't know if there's much more that I have. Like comic wise. Yeah, I mean there's we talked about it a little bit beforehand. There's no real connections to the comics, like d- directly. There's no Berserker staff, you know. Yeah, that's explicitly. Yeah. There's Berserker stuff. You know, because it is part it, it, the idea of berserkers is taken directly from Norse mythology. Yeah. So it, even though comic book and and movie Norse gods and Asgardians are very different from the actual mythology mm-hmm. and the way it was was believed and taught, at the same time they do have a lot of overlap. And the berserker idea of berserker warriors is directly uh, from myth. So, um, do you, are there other in the comics? Are there other Asgardians planted on Earth aside from like Thor? I know Loki isn't technically Asgardian, but Thor, Loki, and and other associated with them, like there are occasionally stories. I think that kind of connect with that. Uh, for the most part, there aren't any like are based on Earth. There was the character that Valkyrie is sort of based on from Ragnarok. Mm-hmm who's basically a female version of Thor in the comics okay. where, uh, cause the only, they actually never undo it. 
In the comic books, uh, the, the name that he takes of Jane's ex-boyfriend named Donald Blake or whatever, because she had his driver's license in, uh, in the first Thor film, that's an identity that when he's being punished by Odin to be uh, shown humility yeah. and, and, and whatnot, it's the same basic idea in the comics. But the way it's done is he's made into Donald Blake, who has to use a cane and is a, a man who uh, is, I think maybe was in Korean War and had a permanent injury to one of his legs. Mm. So he was an ex-MASH unit doctor who became a surgeon when he came home. And so he was just, he was a doctor and Jane Foster was a nurse who worked with him and was his girlfriend. And he believed that he had discovered the hammer of Thor and that when he would, you know, strike it after he read, read the engraving on the, the, the first time he, he saw it that said, whosoever, you know, can lift this hammer has the power of Thor. Right. And he lifted it and it's basically whoever's worthy of the power of Thor. He picks it up and uh, like whenever he strikes to the ground, he'd switch places with it. It's very much like the original version of Captain Marvel, the non-Marvel Comics version, where they weren't even really the same character. It was like he shared space and time with another person. Right. So he swapped, swapped places. And eventually, just like the original version of Captain Marvel, where it's a little kid who became a big superhero in a red suit, Eventually, eventually they became the same mind where it's just, oh no, he became an adult. And they did the same thing where, oh, actually Donald Blake was always Thor. And this was Odin's punishment was making him into this human. The idea was very different to begin with, but it became just a different aspect of his personality. And eventually the Donald Blake persona disappeared and he's just Thor again. But in the case of Valkyrie, who is on Earth, separate from Thor and Loki, even though she's an Asgardian character, she never really got that reveal undone. Mm-hmm. So she is a human who's bonded to an Asgardian. Oh, okay. So an Asgardian named Brunhilde or Brunhild is a is a Valkyrie, and she shares space and and a body with a human. I think <laughs> so current, weird. <laughs> currently, so <laughs> an archaeologist named Annabelle Riggs. Who also has sort of has feelings for her, like they con- uh-huh. they, they kind of are into each other. <laughs> wow! <laughs> but share a body, yeah. Uh, um, so currently, I guess Valkyrie is both a bisexual woman because the character of Brunhild is, and uh, also a lesbian because Annabelle Riggs is, <laughs> which is kind of interesting. That's uh, so weird and so complicated. Yes, Two of Marvel's uh, LGBTQ uh, representations are the same. The same character. Why they have to go and make it weird? Yeah. <laughs> like- oh, they have. They always make it weird. But and she was originally, I believe, a, a uh, Hulk supporting character named Samantha Parrington. But it was a rich blonde lady who traded places with Valkyrie and permanently became bonded with her. And I think now. She can take the form of Brunhilde without switching bodies, and that's why she's in the other one. So I think there might be two versions of Valkyrie separate from one that has now been introduced. <laughs> it's based on Tessa Thompson's version. Oh, my God. So it's kind of rad. That's very mm-hmm. comic booky, But it's also kind of cool because that's – even though – Thor Ragnarok is like a hodgepodge of comic book stories of an actual Ragnarok story and of World War Hulk, even though none of those stories feature Valkyrie the way she's featured in it. Like I kind of am super happy with it, even as a comic book representation, even though it is a new version of this character because she was originally a Hulk and uh, Defenders uh, supporting character. Also, for people who are only familiar with the TV shows and movies, the Defenders were only recently made into this Netflix street level hero uh, assemblage 
The Defenders are traditionally a team made up of the Silver Surfer, Prince Namor, the sub, uh, Submariner, the Hulk, and Doctor Strange. They're the mm. classic team of the Defenders. And they eventually end up bringing on a few more people, including Hellcat, who is Patsy Walker from Alias, when she mm-hmm. becomes a superhero, and Valkyrie. So some of these characters are, who became mainstays in that team are already around in the the comics and or in the comics and the films and Netflix, which is kind of cool. I wonder why they decided to go with the Netflix version of Defenders. Like, like why why name? not just change it into something else? Is it just kind of calling on familiarity? Because they already because they already own the trademark and name of Defenders, rather than create something from scratch. I think they went with that, and because at the time they couldn't do Namor or Silver yeah. Surfer easily. Now they can do Silver Surfer easily. I think they may still have to get something worked out for Namor, but I think if they do, it's more yeah. like Hulk, where it's just a matter of a. Uh, they might not be able to call the movie Namor, Prince Namor, the Submariner, or whatever, like without sharing it with Paramount or Universal. I, I don't even remember which yeah. company anymore, but with a different company. And yeah, I think it's because the characters that were actually associated with the Defenders were tied up with other companies. Like the name was available to them, but not all the characters. And I don't know. It's it is interesting though. Like the only the, like the the mains the mainstream like. In the past, more street level heroes, but they're still not even really street level. It's just the way their yeah. stories were told was more like street level. We're called the Champions, and that was Iceman and Angel from the X Men, <laughs> Ghost Rider, <gasps> the God Hercules, which is just the God, the God Hercules. He's an Avenger. He's he's he's, he's an important what? Marvel character, <laughs> and uh, and Black Widow, which would be I I'd be kind of cool with that if you know now that they've got the rights for all that, I'd be kind of cool with them all being on yeah. A team. I mean. <laughs> But uh, and currently the champions are a team of young people featuring kind of young versions of different heroes. Like there's a character named Ironheart who's getting her own comic by yes. Ewing, uh soon. Uh, who's like a protege of Iron Man, sort of, and sort of her a self-made uh, teenage inventor from MIT and a young uh, black woman from Chicago originally. I love and that Evie Wing is writing her too. Oh yeah, it's gonna be awesome. I know nothing and, about that uh, character, others, but I I know Evie Wang. So <laughs> I have some issues with some of those characters, like the way some of them yeah. were created. But they're all they're in better hands now. Like one other character, also who also just had a book announced uh, in the Champions is Miles mm-hmm. Morales, uh, who I know you have recently fallen more in love with yes! because of the Spider Man oh game. My God. <laughs> so Miles is awesome, and I was just texting with my brother about a coworker of his playing the game, being like, "Oh, now Charlie knows about how." weird it is that miles's dad is named jefferson davis yeah <laughs> still it's like that's what happened to a white dude who also was just very unaware of our own history <laughs> but you know Jeez. names a black character this is dad's name is jefferson davis for some whatever reason. man <laughs> well i just love too that it means he was this close to being named miles davis <laughs> oh my god <laughs> Which would have made a lot more sense to name your kid Miles Davis than to name your kid Jefferson Davis. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Uh, indeed. And then who else? Uh, oh, Miss Marvel mm-hmm. uh, is on the Champions, as well as Sam Alexander is the current version of Nova, uh, the Vision's daughter, Viv, and currently called Braun, formerly the Totally Awesome Hulk, but Amadeus Cho, uh, who's a great character created by Greg Pak, who was also the guy who wrote um, yeah. 
World War Hulk and and Planet Hulk and created the characters that we know and love in that and that story that uh, inspired Ragnarok. He's the guy who created Korg. Oh, so if you like that guy, you like Greg. I Pack. do like Greg. Pack. And even out, out <laughs> even outside of his his creative content, he's just a cool guy. He's really cool and yeah, great creator, awesome guy. Everyone should follow him online as well. But. I recommend Champions. It's a good book. But yeah, they don't have any other names. So I, I feel like <laughs> Champions, Defenders, Avengers, all their names are so, so similar. The, the Revengers <laughs> from Ragnarok. <laughs> they just came out with the first issue of, of a comic called The Asgardians of the Galaxy. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's all Thor related. I kind of love that. So. <laughs> oh, I, I, I absolutely, I, I'm super down with it. In fact, I've suggested online, like they just launched this, like that's, that's the solution to not knowing what to do with guardians three. Yeah. Just scrap it. Do the ass guardians of the galaxy. Yeah. <laughs> so, so good. <laughs> Taika to do that and said, that's, that's my solution. Oh man. Alrighty. I think that's all we've got for today. Thanks for listening. You can find me on Twitter at Space Jess with four S's in the S. How about you? You can find me at I Snow Nothing on Twitter. And you can find the pod at Project Tahiti on Twitter, or you can send us an email at Project Tahiti Pod at gmail.com. Again, thanks for listening. Catch you guys later. <laughs> Bye.